I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm very happy to welcome into the studio Michael Wolf, who's the co-founder and vice president of engineering at Gladly. Michael, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, I like to start by first pointing our listeners to your website. You've got a great URL. It's just gladly.com, as in I will gladly help you. <laughs> Mike, give us the elevator pitch for Gladly. Gladly is a software company. The company is a couple years old, targeting really big business-to-consumer brands, hotels, airlines, retailers, e-commerce. And what we're doing is trying to make it easy for those companies to have conversations with consumers, the kind of conversations you would have with a friend or a family member or a spouse. You know, a conversation where it's, it might be mobile one minute, it might be email, it might be chat, it might be social, where that conversation, both sides have the context of who is this person contacting me, what are they probably contacting me about? What's the last question they had with us? It's it's something uh, customer service has been in the news a lot lately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not not always for the right reasons. And we don't think there's any reason that um, every company can't provide great service just like the best brands do. Okay. Well, this basic problem of customer service has not been lost on many other enterprise software providers. Mm-hmm. What What's the best? What, what are they using now? It's a lot of legacy. Yeah. When we go into a company, we always try to shadow we want to spend time looking over people's shoulders, seeing what they're using, seeing what's working, what's not, what's not working. A lot of what we're looking at are systems that are 20 years old, 25 years old. A lot of it is tied to the really the telephony equipment, mm-hmm. you know, the switches and the phone lines and the headsets, which have always been kind of the center of gravity of customer service and contact center. A lot of that is still there, and that really limits you know, what, what customers can do on the platform. We also see a lot of solutions that were built kind of back during Web 1.0 when companies were just trying to figure out, I put up a website, and people are sending me email. They're trying to contact me over the web. How do I handle that? And one of the companies we see a lot is a company called Kana, which is a company that I was the second employee of and ran yeah. engineering of back in the 90s, which is where a lot of the, the team and a lot of our knowledge of the market came from. So yeah. we're going into some companies and competing against a product we sold to them 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and did you leave in any backdoors, vulnerabilities? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, we do. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it was a great company and a great yeah. product in the day, and it's still, it's still a, great, um, a great business. But uh, we, kinda, we can kind of look back and say, yeah, that may have made sense in 1997. Mm-hmm. But it's 2017, and things have changed a little bit. Yeah, we're here to help. All right. Well, let's let's drill down a little bit more on the user experience, both the the enterprise customer as well as the real end user, way out there, the consumer. So, give us an example of of how this would work. Let's say um, I, uh, you have a, a a financial institution of some kind, mm-hmm. and and I call them up as an end consumer and have a question about um, a, a charge on my account. Yeah, so the first thing is getting that connection to the right person, the right agent, or the right rep inside of the company. That might be based on who you are. It might be based on who helped you last. Mm -hmm. It might be based on what kind of problem you have. Mm -hmm. The second thing is when that person picks up the phone, they shouldn't say, what's your case number? Right. They shouldn't say, or you as a consumer shouldn't have to say, okay, I called two hours ago. I talked to some guy named Nick, and Nick told me if I called back, I should say that I talked to (laughs) Nick. And I shouldn't say, hey, I sent you an email or tweeted at you yesterday. I'm assuming that you kind of know what that's about. 
typically, <laughs> they, and and you know, if you, if you think about your experience as a right. consumer, have you ever called an eight hundred number and had them say, "Hey, you must be calling about this thing you emailed us yesterday. I have that in front of uh, in front of you, right, or in front of me right now." I'll go ahead and finish that transaction. It's pretty rare. Okay. So it, it just if I think through what you just said, you must then have a way of associating these various threads via very various media mm -hmm. uh, to the same ID, to the same yeah. to the same customer. How do you do that? Yeah. Part of it is when you, first of all, it's software as a service deployed in the cloud, mm -hmm. makes it a lot easier for us to build a platform which really scalable, connects to all the social networks, connects to your website, great search, great kind of data management, some advantages you just have if you can start a company today. You, right. you can build on that stack. Right. Part of it is that if you assume all the channels are coming into one platform, if you're assuming that the phone calls, the emails, the chat sessions, the SMSs, the social network interaction are all coming into one channel, you can or one into one system, you can tie that customer profile together because you have all those in one place and you right. can tie them all to the same profile. Then you can assume that you don't have to have a separate set of agents handling your text messages from your emails, mm -hmm. from your social, from your phone. You can do more blended routing where, for example, the, the, the team handling emails might also handle social. Right. Or the team handling phone calls, even if they're not handling emails, they at least can bring up that email and mm -hmm. look at that history. So putting it all in one place and then having a great interface so agents can just look at it, know exactly who you are, know exactly what you're calling about. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm guessing that in some cases you have a customer record, mm -hmm. which will have all the identifiers for the various channels they yeah, might. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in other cases you might not. So I might call you from my work phone mm -hmm. when I've registered my, my mobile. In that case, you have to somehow attach, you have to somehow merge these records. Yeah. Is that right? And, yeah. and that's where you know, we, we are, a lot of our team has been at two, three, four, five enterprise software yeah. companies. So a yeah. lot of lot of kind of institutional knowledge. And you learn from experience that kind of stuff. It's not that glamorous, but that's exactly where a lot of the value is. Right. It's being able to recognize, is this somebody I know already? If it's somebody I know already, let's attach this new interaction to there. Mm -hmm. If it's not somebody we know, we'll start a new conversation. Right. The ability to tie that, if they have a CRM product or a customer master somewhere in the enterprise, we mm -hmm. can integrate with that and use that data. Mm -hmm. We never assume that's there because the, the state of kind of, man, if you go to a lot of companies and say, you know, show me your customer master. A lot of right. times they'll just laugh at you because that thing doesn't always exist. Yeah, yeah, but it does. I mean, there will always be edge cases. I, I whenever I call American Airlines, they think it's my wife calling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, it, it's it's just such a disaster to try to fix that. Yeah, well, uh, well, well we have yeah. to do some clever things. Like yeah. if you call, we'll pop up everybody who's calling from that number in your household, uh, and you can pick the right person in the yeah, household or create yeah, a new one. Yeah. But your mobile number that's tied to your SMS, we can treat that as unique. Mm -hmm. So if we send you a text message, we'll we'll know you're getting it. Okay. Um, tell us where this idea came from. Did you wake up, did you graduate from mm -hmm. high school and say, I want to be an enterprise software yeah, guy? It's, yeah, I would say that our, uh, <laughs> it's a little bit uh, of an unusual story, mm -hmm. partially because I would characterize our team as serial entrepreneurs. Yeah. So my co-founder, Joseph Ancinelli, who's our CEO, I, one of our co-founders, whose name is Dirk Kessler, who's one of our most senior engineers, a lot of the other folks at the company have all done a few enterprise software companies mm -hmm. before. And this one in particular, I had, I was actually taking a couple years off. I was living in Barcelona with my family. Nice. Just decided yeah. like, can to take some time off. If you yeah. do enough of these companies, I mean, I think I'm a believer you can keep doing software companies. It's not a 
it's not a start one company and retire kind of right. a deal. But you need to take breaks between them. Yeah. And that's what I was doing. Joseph at the time was a um a general partner at at a Greylock, the venture capital firm. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Greylock has a history of doing is f finding entrepreneurs or launching companies from inside of Greylock and then incubating the company at Greylock yeah. and then yeah. and spinning out. And he hit the he he was with me at Kana as well. He ran marketing at Kana when I ran um, engineering. Mm -hmm. So had the had CRM experience. Also, as he was having conversations with CIOs, and if you're at a venture capital firm, you have great access to yeah. CIOs and corporate leaders. They just kept bringing this problem up again and again as a sore spot for companies, a place where they're still spending a lot of money, mm -hmm. a market that really hasn't modernized in terms of the technology stack. And in a lot of industries, they're looking at, you know, what is Apple doing? What is Amazon doing? Um, what are the best brands doing in each industry? Every company knows they need to get to that level if they're gonna if they're gonna make it. Yeah, it's it's a great story. You know, I I know I know Joseph as as I mentioned to you before the before the show. He was one of our students at Wharton, and I I asked him this question early in the day. I'll ask it I'll ask it to you as well. Th this is not a venture that's founded on the power of the idea. Right. It's 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 not. I mean, sorry, it's 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 a it's it's sort of an obvious pain point. As 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 you say, Joseph talked to CIOs. They say this is, this is my acute pain point. Normally, startups don't have an unfair advantage when going after a fairly obvious pain point in an existing product category. Normally, you would expect that to be something that Salesforce or someone like that would mm -hmm. would take on. What led you to believe that you guys or a startup in general yeah. could could go after this kind of opportunity. Well, there's there's two kinds of startups, and you're always taking a major risk at any startup. Yeah, one is new market, new problem. Our company, am I working on something that companies are ever going to care about? Right. And our last company called Vontu, which was an information security company, that was more what that company was doing. Yeah. We were the first and the biggest yeah. in a brand new market. So the risk there is, are enough companies going to care about this? Is, is the need real? Yeah, is the it, need real? Yeah. Or you can go into an established market where there's no question on market. Companies yeah. are spending 10 billion plus a year spending money on this problem. But you can't just say we can do something a little bit better than the incumbents. You have to say, is there a big hole in the market where really nobody has looked at this for mm -hmm. 10 or 15 or 20 years? And if you look at the people we're competing against, and again, we're focused mostly on large enterprise. Sure. We're not trying to build a put it on your credit card, you know, small business, dentist office kind of a product. Right. We're selling to major brands. Really, a product targeting that market has not launched in almost 15 years. And like I said, when we go into these companies, we're replacing legacy. We're not going after kind of a, a peer or a company that looks anything like us. Yeah, but I wonder if there's if there's something else going on here, which is the incumbents, because they have this legacy product, mm -hmm. are in some sense unable to pursue the opportunity. Yeah, I think it's you know, and this is this is disruption. You know, this that yeah. happens every every enterprise market every ten or fifteen years. The out with the old, in with the new, mm -hmm. which is part of why I'm still doing this after yeah. <laughs> after yeah. more than twenty yeah. years. And in this market in particular. You have companies that have more of a legacy of selling to small businesses, you know, selling to dot-coms. There's a lot of companies in that market. And your typical startup started by founders typically who don't sell to enterprise or want to particularly yeah. sell to enterprise. They mostly look like that. You have some of the companies I talked about we competed against back in the 90s that are still out there. And then you have Salesforce. And Salesforce, they're, they're really hamstrung by their legacy in two ways. Yeah. One is that they're a company that's great at selling to sales teams. They'll help you manage your forecast and your pipeline and a team of sales reps. 
And the further away they get from that market, the more the product's kind of a force fit yeah. into trying to solve these new problems. And the other is that their strength is really selling to B2B, mm -hmm. which is where those sales teams are typically, where those sales teams typically are. If you walk into a hotel or an airline or you know a major brand, they're not using that product. Right. Now, they might compete with us to go in there and try to win that deal, but they're not an incumbent I trying see. to replace. They're, they're in there trying to convince those brands that they can kind of take this thing and kind of wedge it into that use yeah. case. Yeah. You know, the other thing I was going to say, which we just need to underscore for our listeners, I think, is it's a very different kind of team and a very different kind of financing, I think, yeah. to go after yeah. this opportunity. Yeah. This is not... Uh, two college dropouts in a garage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think there's certain, um, and th that's a place I think we're, we're pretty unusual. Yeah. Is, you know, the, the typical path for a startup is you raise a little bit of money, you put something out there, you get a couple customers, you know, you gradually sell it to larger and larger businesses, and eventually maybe you'll try to go up market and right. sell it to a large enterprise. Right. This is a company where we want to sell to large enterprises on day one partially because that's where the biggest gap is in the market, partially because that's how you build a really big business, mm -hmm. partially because this team knows how to do that. Mm -hmm. our, our last company, our first deal was over a million dollars, and mm -hmm. then they just kind of went up from there. So that's what we know how to do. The downside of that strategy is you have to be more patient. You have to wait a year or two before you really have a product in market and can close some deals. There's requirements on you know, security and compliance and just being a mature company that companies aren't going to bet on you till you have that. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you just have to raise, you have to have an experienced team who likes to do that. And you have to raise, you know, a decent amount of money yeah. to buy yourself a little time. And so they can see you have money in the bank and you're going to be there. Yeah, I, actually, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I think I think we just need to, you know, brag a little bit. And, and so describe a little bit the credentials of this team and then tell us a little bit about the financing. Because yeah. I, I, what I, what I want to make sure is clear is that second style of startup you described is not one that yeah. college dropouts and two college dropouts in a garage can go do typically. Yeah. 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 This is, so this is my fifth startup. Yeah. It's my third as a co-founder. Uh, Kana was an IPO. I had two acquisitions. All the companies were selling enterprise software to a large right. enterprise. So I've right. done this before. Joseph, our CEO, similar background. He, we were together at Vontu, which was our last company we started together. He was at Kana. He's been a venture capitalist. Our head of sales, our head of marketing, our head of HR, they all come from places like, you know, Netscape and from Oracle and from, you know, Mobileiron. And a lot of them were right. on to together. Right. So they've all been through that, taking a company from being employee number 10 to being mm -hmm. employee number 500 or 1,000. Mm -hmm. Not just in the how do you sell large deals to large companies, but just how do you keep the wheels on as a company grows that quickly. Yeah. You need an experienced management team on day one. Yeah. So... Um, the company was really inspired partially by Workday because mm -hmm. Workday is another company where software as a service, folks on large enterprise, never tried to really do the self-service kind of go right. sell to small business. Also started by an experienced team who were yeah. able to raise a lot of money. Yeah. Now we're not comparing ourselves to them today, but not in terms yet. of yeah. in terms of something you know a company would love to look like in yeah. ten years, that's a great that's a great model. Yeah, but but to be clear, what just what that means? That means that. In the first year, you had a management team that could be running a $500 million yeah. company. Yeah, we have yeah. the exact same executive team we would have if we had 1,000 people. Yeah, exactly. So that's, uh, that's not cheap. That, and, that's so. not, and, that's not, <laughs> and that's not the right 
model for every company. Right. Yeah. But for what we're doing, that's kind of the only way you yeah. can do it. Yeah. And so talk a little bit about the money. It's it's a, it's an astounding yeah, so uh, we, fundraising story. Yeah. So yeah. we um like I said, Greylock helped get the company started and they put in, you know, they put in the bulk of the Series A, which was twelve million dollars. Mm. And we did a round with NEA and one with GGV, which is our Series C we just announced. So we've raised over $60 million so yeah. far. And yeah. now to be clear, we're just as frugal and careful about spending that money, I think, as any startup would have to yeah. be. But, you know, even to get the product out and close a few deals, the upfront is is relatively high. Yeah. So say a little bit about, you know, those are amazing numbers, which only make sense in the context of the fact that this was a proven pain point mm-hmm. um, and you put together this dream team that could yeah. really go, go after that. So it yeah. does make sense, but only, only in that context. Yeah. Say a little bit more about this challenge of walking into a, you know, American express or someone and trying to convince them to sign up for a new piece of software. Yeah. yeah. I think that you, you know, and this is the early adopter crossing the chasm or whatever model you like to think yeah. of. This is kind of the, how do you find a business which, first of all, is a brand that we would be proud to have as a customer. We want to put these logos on our website. We want them to be references. We want them to be like, they're going to be partners essentially in launching the company. So you have to find brands who um, are willing to take some risk, meaning they're doing, they can't go talk to five of their peers who have all bought the same product and been successful with it. But for them, it's a calculated risk. Their attitude is often, if I buy the same product all my peers have, I'm going to look exactly like my peers. I'm not going to differentiate on customer service if I have the exact same technology stack everybody else has. So I'm willing to do something a little bit new and a little bit risky. However, given the amount of financing the company's raised and given the team, it's not that risky. We're not going to run out of money tomorrow, for example. You have to find them at the right time where there's a new project or there's some initiative you can kind of grab onto. And you have to pitch them not just on the product as it is, but as a... Like we're going on a journey together yeah. and you're going to influence our direction. We're going to help influence your direction. We're going to be kind of bound at the hip for a while. Yeah. This is not a, here's what we have, take it or leave it. This yeah. is a, it's got to be compelling today, but we're going to work together on building something really compelling for you over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Michael, can you say uh, who some of those Beachhead customers were? We have not announced any yet. Oh, you haven't. We okay, are. Haven't. The, we yeah. are. Stay tuned. All right. Watch All this. Right. Watch we'll this. Watch, the website. watch this space. <laughs> yeah. All right. Great. Well. Uh, okay. So we caught you actually at a pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting time. Um, I wonder if you can say a little bit about uh, as you were talking. I was wondering to what extent this is a setting in which the conventional best practice in 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 entrepreneurship which i would characterize as as lean mm-hmm. lean uh, lean startup yeah. methodology is is this a, a different kind of case where you you, yeah. you know so comment a little bit on uh, a notion of rapid iteration lean startup versus what yeah. you guys are doing i yeah. so i think that there's a lot of there's a lot of great startup advice out there and i'm i'm guilty of dispensing much of it myself let's hear it yeah <laughs> and i think that there's general advice that works most places, yeah. but I think every company has a different path, different yeah. founders, different market, different pace, different funding. And I think the ideas behind Lean Startup, which is you know, validate, test, validate your assumptions, make sure you're not kind of drinking your own Kool-Aid, yep. um, do things in phases, get a product out, iterate on it. I think those are actually valid in almost every market. Mm-hmm. And we actually do that here. Mm. We... 
Um, even if you go back a couple years, we were building demos, getting them in front of customers, shadowing in contact centers, coming back with revved versions of those things, validating would you buy it, what would you pay for, how much would you pay. So those principles, whether you raise a dollar or a hundred million dollars, you should still do that. Mm -hmm. There's never a reason to assume that you have all the answers and that you don't need to go talk to customers. Um, so I think that those principles, I think, apply to any company. I think the thing that's a little bit different with us is the company's probably the customer's probably not going to write the check until you have something pretty solid in yeah. the market. So they might validate your ideas, but they're not going to. You know, if they're putting ten dollars on a credit card, you can probably get started a little bit earlier and build it with them. Where we have to spend a year or two really getting something solid before they're going to go live with it. That's probably the biggest difference. But I don't think the principles are actually that yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a question. I mean, if if you're Boeing, you can't field a minimum viable product that doesn't have avionics or seats, yeah, right? Exactly. So, so there's some. You're exactly. not quite there, but there's something uh, similar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you yeah. along the way, though, you can show them pictures. You can give yeah. them specs. You can get feedback. So there is a process to make sure you're building the right product. But ultimately, to deliver it, there's it's a the bar is higher. Yeah. Um, say a little bit about to what extent can this be one product or does it really is what what does the provisioning look like how much customization do you have to do with these with yeah. your customers yeah, yeah we we want to look and feel like one product as mm -hmm. much as possible because one of the problems in this market and part of why probably you as a consumer have so many yeah. less than satisfying experiences is you have a phone team an email team a social team mm -hmm. a web team a knowledge base team they all have different platforms the products were all built at different times don't integrate so having this all in one platform where you can log in, get access, it's all integrated, that, that's a big value proposition. That being said, we never assume that we're the only thing, you know, we're, we're not gonna be the only CRM system in any of these customers. So we do have a lot of integration points where mm -hmm. we can, for example, if I call an airline, I would love it if the person I talk to is looking at my frequent flyer information, yeah. my last two flights. They might even want to know that I'm on a flight right now. Right. And hey, you know, it looks like your layover didn't connect or right. something like that. Right. So getting that kind of data in front of the agents is really important. And that's data that's going to come from other internal systems. So having data integration points and APIs is really important. But in terms of true customization, as an enterprise software company, you always want as much as possible everybody to be using the same product and even the same version of the product at the same time, which is part of what software as a service gives you. Yeah. It reduces a lot of that complexity. Yeah, yeah. And that's part of what you're selling. Oh, yeah. To, is, oh, yeah. is that you're you're amortizing these these development resources, the oh, bug yeah. fixes across a lot of customers. Yeah, I mean, we'll go to a company and we'll look at an old system they're using and they haven't upgraded it in five years. Right. They haven't even talked to the vendor in five years. Right. And we tell them that we released a different version of our software every single week. Mm -hmm. And they can't yeah. believe it. Yeah. <laughs> but we do. Pretty, pretty awesome. I want to, I want to uh, change gears just a little bit and ask a little bit about your personal journey. Mm -hmm. You said you took a couple years off, but but if I look at your resume on LinkedIn, at least, mm -hmm. it looks like the last time you were doing this, which is in the weeds building product, yeah. was Symantec back in two thousand nine, something like that. Yeah. So the question is, can you take? What is it like to take eight years away from mm -hmm. that? And then have to come back at the top of the game, basically. Yeah, yeah. so what happened yeah. is, so uh, my third company, Vontu, the one I started with Joseph, where a lot of the folks on this team are from, Yeah, that was, we founded in 2002, mm -hmm. and I was an entrepreneur in residence at Benchmark Capital at the yeah. time, so they really helped get that company started. Yeah. We sold the company to Symantec at the end of 2007. Mm -hmm. Then I spent two years on the executive team at Symantec. Mm -hmm. I took a little bit of time off, started another company between 2000. Um, 
2010 and 2012. Mm -hmm. And that was a company that um, Benchmark also funded. Mm -hmm. And that was a company where that, that com that's of all my companies, that's the one that did not work. Mm -hmm. So I had three that worked, one that didn't. Mm -hmm. And it's a mix of that was one where, first of all, just wasn't really a market. We thought there was a market, small market. Most of the customers would have been other startups and small businesses. And there were a lot of, the, it just it didn't feel like there was a way to build yeah. a large enterprise market there. And there were some issues just with uh, timing and I probably should have taken time off between companies. Yeah. And it was, a, it was a really good lesson for me around don't start a company because you want to start a company. Mm -hmm. Start a company because there's some convergence of the right team, the right time, the right idea where you say like, I got to do this. Like this is, this is it. And that company was a little more of a, hey, I love startups. I want to start a startup. Yeah, yeah. And a little bit less, I want to start this startup. And the, dif and the difference is incredible. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of people in this town right now who are here because they want to start a startup. Sure. Which is a completely different motivation than, wow, there's this thing that I really have to do. Mm -hmm. So I took a little bit of time off after that. Um, I took a year and did a lot of consulting, advising, advisory mm -hmm. boards, then spent a year in Barcelona. And I started talking to Joseph about this idea because he started to work on it while I was gone. Yeah. And I couldn't wait to get back and start to work on it. I think yeah. a week after I got back from Barcelona, I'm sitting in the Greylock offices, just let's go, let's do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. But but say a little bit about to what extent the tools and the approaches to development have have changed, and maybe a little bit about your job. So you're you're yeah. VP engineering, but you're co-founder. I mean, you're you're yeah. involved in strategic direction. But in terms of actually building a very complicated product like this. Yeah. How, how much has the world changed? Yeah. I think the world has changed. There's you know, technology changes, then there's the impact on the team and the culture internally. And I think the impact on the internal operations is probably the one that's more interesting to me. For example, when we were at Vontu back in, when we started 2003, 2004, our first product took probably a year to build. We then got on kind of a six to nine month development cycle. And there's certain things you do when you, if you, if you get to make, if you get to ship one product a year, yeah, the time you spend stressing about what's in, what's out, what yeah. customer should we target, yeah. not customer, that's a whole different culture than, okay, we're going to ship every week. Right. And every week we're going to look at the pipeline, look at the backlog of things to do, and we're going to be more agile. It takes some of the pressure off because yeah. you don't have to make, you know, you can make decisions more and, and that's the difference between SaaS and an installed piece yeah. of software. Although okay. even with yeah. SaaS, though, you can get into long, long monolithic yeah. big bang development cycles. Yeah. You have to make some investments early on if you want to get great at shipping constantly, which yeah. is what we do. Yeah. So that's probably been the biggest difference is you're not organizing around the big annual release mm -hmm. or the big six-month release. Mm -hmm. You're organizing around every week making progress mm -hmm. and every week targeting that progress toward, toward your customers. Yeah. All right. Well, remarkably, our time has just flown by. But, Michael, thanks so much for coming in. It's super interesting. Thank you. All right. You can check them out at gladly.com. Like, I will gladly help you out. So, gladly.com. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes.